just as free. Welcome to another episode of the Powerless to Powerful Recovery Podcast. My name is Jason. I'm an alcoholic and addict. As always, I want to remind everyone that our mission is to share experience, strength, and hope across multiple media platforms. The story of addiction and the road to recovery. I want to remind everyone as well that we're not affiliated with Alcoholics Anonymous in any way or any other 12-step-based groups or organizations. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about the four-step. And when you hear it, it just brings fear to you, especially to the newcomer. If I asked you why, why do you use, why do you get high, why do you drink, could you tell me? And if you don't have an answer for that, you're going to find that one in the fourth step. The fourth step is addressing the things that that we've been running from our whole life, the causes of our conditions. These are, it's a difficult step because this is the things that we don't want to talk about. These are the things that we've been running from. This is the reasons why we do what we do. We're going to identify it. We're going to bring it from the dark to the light. When these things are in the dark, the resentments, the fears, the sex inventory, the horrible relationships that I carry, when they're in the dark, they hold power over me. And we're going to bring them to light in the four step. And it can be very difficult. We spent years pushing these things so far down that we just, we act like they're not there, but they are. In the four step, we're going to look at them today. So I'll be reading from the big book on page 63. We're going to start there in the very bottom. I'm going to be sharing the things that I've learned from it, um, the ways that I uh, take my sponsees through different things, the ways my sponsor took me through the steps. The fourth step has three major parts. The first part's the resentments. The second part's the fears. And the third part's the sex inventory. So we're going to read along in the book and we're going to address all three of those different areas and and go from there, man. And I hope you guys hear something that gives you the courage and the strength to, to do it thoroughly. When I started the four step, my sponsor asked me one thing, man. He said, Jason, how free do you want to be? How free do you want to be? And I wanted it to be as free as I could, man. So I put everything down in this four step. It didn't matter if I thought I was over it. It didn't matter if I thought that fear was gone or that resentment was petty and that I had moved on from it or any types of sexual relationships or relationships in general, because that's really what the sex inventory is about. Deflating ego and looking at relationships and identifying how to have healthy ones. The fourth step gives us the clear-cut game plan and idea of exactly what we have to change. We have to do everything differently. My part that I played in the resentments, that gives me the clear-cut idea. No more lying, cheating, manipulating, stealing, and getting high, because that's the part I play in every single one of them. The selfishness, the self-centeredness. I start to look at my fears and I start to identify how I handle them when I'm on self-will. And when I look at that, it's almost comical. The insanity is right there in black and white. I'm living by a different way, which is God's sufficiency. So now I know how to handle them. And I start to become fearless and the opposite of fear is faith. And then I look at the sex inventory and I start to see that I've had nothing but horrible relationships because guess who's involved? I am. So I start to identify what healthy relationships look like. We're going to talk about those three areas today, so I hope you guys can follow along, but we're going to be starting on the bottom of 63. So I'll be reading out of the book and sharing my experience as well, and I hope everyone could follow along with me. So we're on the bottom of 63. It says, next we launched on a course of vigorous action. Vigorous means with energy, intensity, and force. We got to attack this thing. These things are difficult. 
People get caught up in it. People read. This is the relapse step. This is relapse central. You get yourself a case of the four step blues and it could be a bad, bad situation for you. So we got to go after this thing, man. We can't get stuck in it. We got to vigorously attack it with energy, with intensity, with force. We have to. Because this is the first step of which is a personal house cleaning, which many of us never attempted. Though our decision was a vital and crucial step, it could have little permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face strenuous and vigorous. It doesn't say take your time, do a little bit here, take three months. It says vigorously and strenuously to face these facts, man, to be rid of the things in ourselves, which are unblocking us. The drugs, the alcohol was but a symptom. So we had to get down to the causes and conditions. This is the reason why we use It's no secret when you write it down, when you have a composition notebook and you have everything addressed in the fourth step and the fifth step. And you got 10 pages, man, of just shit. That's why. Because when I get sober, I feel all these things, the resentments. I'm fearful. I have horrible relationships. I feel horrible about the way I've treated everyone in my life. I'm incapable of being honest. I carry a bunch of secrets. And because of that, when I get sober, I don't like the way I feel. And drugs work. Don't think, don't feel, don't care followed by more negative emotions. So we're going to face these things, man. How free do you want to be? Therefore, we started on a personal inventory. This was step four. A business which takes no regular inventory usually goes broke. Taking a commercial inventory is a fact-finding, fact-facing. We're going to face some facts and we're going to find some things out. It's an effort to discover the truth about the stock and trade. That stock and trade, that truth is about me. One object is to disclose damaged or insoluble goods to get rid of them promptly, without regret. If the owner of the business is to be successful, he cannot fool himself about values. We did the exact same things with our lives. We took stock honestly. We searched out the flaws in our makeup which caused our failure. These flaws, these resentments, these fears, these relationships, the parts we play in, the way it affects us, the way we treat others. That's the cause of the failure. Being convinced that self manifested in various ways is what had defeated us. We considered its common manifestations. Resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. You always hear that. Resentment's the number one offender. Well, what's that mean? It's the number one offender. I'll tell you what it means to me. And if we back up in that previous sentence, it said common manifestations, this alcoholic mentality, the manifestations of my illness is the lying, the cheating, the the character defects. And when I put these resentments on paper and when I look at them and I see my part, I play a part every single one of them. So that tells me today that if I'm still creating resentments, I'm still playing a part and my disease is manifesting itself. And if I don't do something about it, I'll use again. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. From it stems a form of a spiritual disease for we've not only been mentally and physically ill, we've been spiritually sick. When the spiritual malady is overcome, malady is a sickness. We straighten out mentally and physically. In dealing with these resentments, we put them on paper. We listed people, institutions, principles with whom we were angry. We asked ourselves why we were angry. In most cases, we found that our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions, our personal relationships, including sex, were hurt or threatened, so we were sore, we were burned up. On our grudge list, we set opposite each name, our injuries. Was it our self-esteem, our security, our ambitions, our personal or sex relations, which have been interfered with? 
So next, if you're following along in your book, you're going to see that grid. And that's the homework. We're going to kind of talk about that after we read the resentment. So I'm going to skip down to the bottom of the page. We went back through our lives. Nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. There's that question, man. How free do you want to be? Thorough, honest, vigorously, strenuously. Rid yourself of the things that have been blocking you, which cause your failure. Get after it. When we finished it, we considered it carefully. The first thing apparent was that this world and its people were often quite wrong. To conclude that others were wrong as far as most of us ever got. Man, I got to blame everyone. And I'll tell you why I got to blame everyone. Because it allows me to continue to fuel this behavior. So it's your fault. Not mine. Selfishness and self-centeredness. That's my problem. The usual outcome was that people continued to wrong us. We stayed sore. Sometimes it was remorse. Then we were sore at ourselves. But the more we fought and tried to have our own way, the worse matters got. As in war, the victor only seemed to win. Our moments of triumph were short-lived. It is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility. Futility means pointless, useless, unhappiness. To the precise extent we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile. When I'm consumed with these resentments, they rent so much space in my head. I'm thinking about them. I'm plotting on that person. I'm attached to in such a negative way consumes every aspect of my life. And then I'm squandering the hours that might have been worthwhile. But with the alcoholic whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, the business of resentment is infinitely grave. We found that it is fatal. For when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. The insanity of the alcohol returns. And with us, to drink again is to die. If we were to live, we had to be free of anger. The grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. They may be the dubious luxury of normal men, but for the alcoholic, these things are poison. These character defects, these resentments, they're poison. So next right here where it says we turn back to the list. So anytime I work with a guy, I always will stop right there because the next part of the page is going to give us some, some tools to handle these resentments. So when we sit down and we look at these resentments, we look at the person. Who is it? Name. Why? Why are you mad at him? What did it cause on you? How did it affect you? Was it your pocketbook? Was it your self-esteem? Was it your personal relationships? What was it that affected you? And then what was your part in it? It's so important to identify your part in the specifics. If you could apply it specifically to the resentment with that individual, that's perfect. But if you can't reply it, apply to it, maybe you're not to blame. But then I always ask you to look at the relationship as a whole. What's the total sum of your actions in that relationship? So let's get it on paper. So who who is it? Why are you mad? What did it affect on you? And what's your part in it? So once you get that down and you have this list and you've, you've, you've got 20, 30, 40, however many people you got on there, then you're ready to go back to the list. So we turn back to the list for it held the key to the future. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. We began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. In that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, had the power to actually kill. How could we escape? We saw that these resentments must be mastered, but how? We couldn't wish them away any more than the alcohol or the drugs. So now we're going to get into the tools. So this is the first tool. This was our course. We realized that people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. Though we did not like their symptoms and the way they disturbed us, they, like ourselves, were sick too. 
So when you sit down with your sponsor, and this is the most important part for you and your sponsor to be engaged. So once you have this list, you're going to go through every single one of them. The way that I do it is I go through every single one of them with the individual. I try to find a tool to apply to it. I wish it was as easy as just writing things down and they just go away, but that's not, that's not the case. We have to put some work in behind them. So as we go through every single one, we're going to see what tool applies to it. We're going to start the healing process, the forgiveness process, and the forgiveness process is for you, not the other person. It's for you to take back control of your life. So you're not squandering the hours that might have been worthwhile. So we're going to look at every single one of them, man. Some are going to take some action. So the first thing we're going to look at is, are they spiritually sick? Are they an alcoholic and addict like ourselves? If so, then what are we even talking about? And if they don't use to me, they're even more spiritually sick. They don't even have an addiction problem. They're just sick. I think about my actions and my disease. Who am I to have a resentment towards somebody else when I've done that same thing to somebody else, but I want them to be to forgive me, but I can't forgive this individual? So I got to look at them. So that's the first tool. We ask God to show, help us show them the same tolerance and pity and patience we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. When a person offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man. How could I be helpful? God, save me from being angry. Thy will be done. The second tool is not right here on this page. It's actually on page 552 in the big book, and it's the resentment prayer. In the prayer, it talks about praying for these people. Praying for these people if they're just words. Do it for two weeks. Do it anyways. Pray for everything you want to be given to yourself for, get for them and pray for them. Do it anyways, even if you don't want to, and they're only words, and you'll come to find that you mean it. And if you go to page 552, I kind of just paraphrased it right there. But 552, man, that's the second tool. Man, I've had guys where I had to go over with them every single night to pray for this person. And at the two, at the end of the two weeks, and a lot of the times quicker than that, they were able to find forgiveness. God is good, man. Seek him. Call upon him. Ask for strength and guidance. Because these resentments will kill. We avoid retaliation or argument. We wouldn't treat sick people that way. If we do, we destroy our chance of being helpful. And for me, that's the third tool. It says it all over in the big book. It says our very lives depend upon our constant thought of others and how I may help meet their needs. The very first page of working with others. Nothing so much will ensure immunity than intensive work with other alcoholics. I could describe God's will as being of service. My will is selfishness. His will is selflessness. If I'm harboring a resentment, I definitely can't help that person. And since I'm squandering the other hours in the day, I'm not going to be able to help anyone else. My life depends upon it. So I have to let these things go. We cannot be helpful to all people, but at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one of them. Referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done. We resolutely look for our own mistakes. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, and self-seeking and frightened? Though a situation had not been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Here's the fourth tool. Where were we to blame? And when I put these things on paper, when I look at them and I see the part that I played in, it's almost comical that I would even have a resentment. But the reason why I have that resentment, because it allows me to continue to get high and fuel this negative behavior in my life and blame others. Today, anytime I create a resentment, the first thing I do is say, what's my part in this thing? 
And the reason is I had 40 resentments in every single one of them. I played a part and I played a major part in it. So that tells me today, based off the data, that if I'm creating a resentment, I'm playing a part, my disease is manifesting itself, and I have to take ownership of that. So where was I to blame? The inventory was ours, not the other man's. When we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed them before us in black and white. We admitted our wrongs honestly, and we're willing to set these matters straight. So that's the first part, it's the resentments. So we got the who, who you mad at, why you mad at him, what did it affect on you, and what was your part? Once you get those down, you go through them with your sponsor, now you're ready to move on to the fears. So the fears start right here on the bottom of 67. Notice the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulties of Mr. Brown, Miss Jones, and the employer. This short word somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. When I'm living in fear, I'm completely consumed by it. I'm fearful of everything. And when I put them in black and white and I see the insanity of self-reliance and how my fears, all these fears that I've identified and the way that I act when I'm on self-will feeds right into these fears, I'm completely fearful and attacks every aspect of our life. I can get caught up on the future and future trip and attached to it in such a fear that it prevents me from taking any sort of action toward any type of my goals and completely wasting the day. It's an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. It set in motion trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve. But did not we ourselves set the ball rolling? Sometimes we think fear ought to be classed with stealing. It seems to cause more trouble. So right now, these next two paragraphs is going to break down how we're going to uh, look at these fears. So we'll talk about it after we read it. We reviewed our fears thoroughly. We put them on paper, even though we had no resentment in connection with them. First part, we asked ourselves why we had them. Second part, was it because self-reliance failed us? Self-reliance was as good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. Some of us once had great self-confidence, but it didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other. When it made us cocky, it was worse. Here's the third part. Perhaps there's a better way for we think. We're now on a different basis, the basis in trusting and relying upon God. We trust infinite God rather than our finite self. We're in the world to play the role he assigns. Just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? I love this next paragraph. We never apologize to anyone for depending upon our creator. We can laugh at those who think spirituality is the way of weakness. Paradoxically, it's the way of strength. The verdict of the age is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us to be. At once, we commence to outgrow fears. So the fears stop right there. And the opposite of fear is faith. So the homework and to really look at these fears and to really break them down, it's got three parts to it. The first part's going to be what's the fear and why is it the fear? The second part's going to be how do we handle it in the past or how do we handle it when we're running on self-will, self-reliance, what that look like. And then the third part's how do we operate now and how do we handle these fears in God's will? We're trusting in God. We made a decision in step three to let our footwork reflect our belief from step two. So how do we handle it today? And that's the most important part. So we look at these fears and I'm going to give you a fear. Fear of my wife leaving me. Why? Because I love her. Fear of my daughter not being in my life. 
Why? Because she's one of the most important things in my life and people in my life, and I love her dearly. How does Jason handle that when he's running on self-will? Do an eight-year prison sentence. Lose my visits while I'm there. It's insanity. So when you look at the self-reliance part with all these fears, you're going to see that you feed right into them. It's going to look insane because it is. Now, the third part's God-reliance. How I'm going to handle it in the future. What's God's will look like for this fear? So when I think about these relationships with my daughter and the fears that I have associated with not being there or losing them or not having them in my life and my self-reliance fed right into it, well, what's that look like for me today? Well, I'm going to go to meetings. I'm going to work a program. I'm going to let my actions reflect the love that I have for them. I'm going to be present in their lives. Every day I need to make sure that my footwork reflects the man and father and husband that I want to be. I'm going to stay connected through prayer and meditation. And that's what it looks like for me. So it's important for me to list all these fears. The self-reliance part, again, is going to be insanity. Of course. Why wouldn't it be anything else? And then we're going to look at God's will, how we're going to handle it going forward in the future. So now we have the solution to all our fears in the third column. So what I always will do is I will make like a checklist of how many times that exact solution comes up. Work a program, God's will, prayer meditation, physically fit, take care of my body. Be mindful of the relationships. All these solutions, I'm going to have them in the most prevalent ones with the most check marks will be number one and so on and so forth. And I'll come up with the top five things that I have to maintain, God's will, the solutions to my fears, and I'll focus those on those long enough and those fears will fall from me. But I got to do my part. And that's how I overcome my fears. And when I do that and none of my fears happen, then that faith grows. I ask a lot of my guys in the beginning when I start to sponsor them, the very first first or second meeting I'll have with them, I'll ask them to write down every fear that they have and we'll put it in a jar and we'll revisit it 30, 60, 90 days later. And I'll tell you right now, the majority of those fears never happen as long as we live in God's will and we do the next right thing. And that's how we overcome these fears. Now we're going to go on to the sex inventory. We're going to talk about that now. And I know I'm kind of breezing through this very quickly, and there's a lot to it. This is the causes of our conditions. There's so much more to this. Get a sponsor. This is an effective way to work the steps through a podcast. Definitely not. I would never recommend that. Get with your sponsor. Listen to the podcast. Ask him questions. Put the pen to the paper and be thorough and honest and be as free as you can be. I dare you. Show me something. Now we're going to look at the sex inventory and... Oddly enough, it's on page 69. <laughs> I remember it's kind of funny. Uh, when I was in the when I was at North Unit and I taught that drug class and one of the most amazing people in my life who's still in my life today, her name's Miss Franz. I was teaching a group and I wanted to speak on relationships in the sex inventory. And she was in her office and I was up front with the guys and I was teaching group and I yelled in there. I was like, Miss Franz, uh, what page does the sex inventory start on? And she's like, page 69. And I'll never forget that, man. I'll never forget it. But there's a few lines on the bottom of 68, and that's where we're at now. So now about sex. Many of us needed an overhauling there, but above all, we tried to be sensible. It's so easy to get way off track. Here we find human opinions running to extremes, absurd extremes, perhaps. One set of voices cries that sex is the lust of our lower nature, a base necessity of procreation. 
Then we have the voices who cry for sex and more sex, who bewail the institution of marriage, who think that most of the troubles of the race are traceable to sex causes. They think we don't have enough of it or it isn't the right kind. They see its significance everywhere. One school would a man, allow a man no flavor for his fare, and the other would have us all on a straight pepper diet. We want to stay out of this controversy. We don't want to be the arbiter of anyone's sex conduct. We all have sex problems. We'd hardly be human if we didn't, but what can we do about them? So basically it's saying, dude, stay on track. It's easy to get off track. What we're really talking about in the sex inventory, one is deflating ego, and the second thing is to identify that we've never been able to have a healthy relationship. And if life is a series of relationships, well, I better figure this one out. The steps can be seen in relationships. Steps one, two, and three is for you to develop a relationship with God, a higher power of your understanding. Four, five, six, and seven is for you to identify and build a relationship with self again. Eight, nine is to rebuild relationships with others. Ten is the maintenance of relationship with self. Eleven is the maintenance of relationship with God. And twelve is the maintenance of relationship with others. So because I'm involved in relationships and the selfishness that comes with my addiction, I'm incapable of having a meaningful relationship. So we're going to read through this and we're going to talk about how we're going to overcome these. So we review our conduct over the years past where we've been selfish, dishonest, inconsiderate. Whom had we hurt? Did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? Where were we at fault? What should we have done instead? We got this all down on paper. We looked at it. That's the first part. In this way, we tried to shape our sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. We subjected each relation to the test. Was it selfish or not? We asked God to mold our ideals and to help us to live up to them. We remember always that our sex powers were God-given, therefore good, neither to be used lightly or selfishly, nor to be despised or loathed. Whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow toward it. We must be willing to make amends where we've done harm, provided that we do not bring about still more harm in so doing. In other words, we treat sex as we would any other problem. In meditation, we ask God what we should do about each specific matter. The right answer will come if we want it. So it's important to get these sex inventory down on paper. So what we're really looking at, and anytime I work with a guy, what I always have them do is identify the main relationships that they had in their lives. What are the main relationships that you've carried? So we're going to break it down into columns, just like we did in the resentments. So who is it? Put the name down. What was the relationship like? What were the characteristics of it? What were the characteristics of the way that you operated in it? What harm have you done in this relationship? So we're really going to break it down and look at every single relationship. The first, that's part one. The first thing that's going to happen is we're going to understand that we are not the man or woman. That we're not special. That we take hostages. I don't have girlfriends. I took hostages. Right. And we're going to see exactly like I said, man, the four step tells me exactly what I need to do and need to change. I need to change everything that was my part in the resentments. I need to handle everything in God's solution and not repeat how self-reliance Jason handles life and fears, especially. And now I need to understand and try to figure out how to have a meaningful relationship. So we're going to look at every one of the relationships. Then I'll always have them put just the insanity of the other things and the weirdo stuff that we do and the horrible things that we carry in our sex inventory and just identify those so we can see in totality what it really looks like to be in a relationship with us. And so we're really going to look at that. So after you've done that, the second part is your sane and sound ideal for your future sex life. So every individual is going to be a little bit differently. So every individual is going to be in a different place. Either you're currently in a relationship or you're currently single 
or maybe you have children with with you have uh, you know a mother of your child that you have a relationship with that you're not with anymore but you need to establish how to have a healthy relationship there we're going to examine friendships so it's important for me to list what the perfect ideal woman would be for me to list these character assets these values these morals these these morals, these values, these spiritual characteristics, it's important for us to identify them. If we're looking for this future relationship, what are we looking for? So it's important to identify every single thing, man. It's some non-negotiables of the relationship that just if they're not there, it can't happen. And it's a non-negotiable. So what do those look like for us? And what we just read, it talked about, we tried to shape our sound and sa- sound and ideal for our future sex life. Whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow toward it. So if I'm looking for that in another individual or in a sexual relationship, going further in intimacy, and intimacy means the sharing of one's true self with another. So if I'm looking for that, I have to have those character characteristics, those characteristics. I have to have those things in my life. So I got to put them on paper, man. I got to figure out what that looks like for me so I could establish this. You know, it's important to really understand and really to look at what that looks like for me. So what I have is a codependency problem. So I look at the characteristics of codependency. And what I'm trying to have is an interdependent relationship. Interdependency is a healthy relationship. And interdependency is based on five characteristics, which are the non-negotiables and relationships in my life today, other than needing to be sober. The first thing is, is honesty. The second one is joint action. The third one is shared decisions. The fourth one is open communication. And the fifth one is genuine concern for one another. And those are the non-negotiables. In order to maintain any type of healthy interdependent relationship, those are the five characteristics that are non-negotiables. So it's important for me to identify those along with some other things that are really important to me and make sure that I possess those things so I could attract that person and I could have a healthy relationship in my life. So it's going to go on right now and we're going to finish reading it. It says, God alone can judge our sex situation. Counsel with another person is often desirable, but we let God be the final judge. We realize that some people are as fanatical about sex as others are loose. We avoid hysterical thinking or advice. Pay attention here. Suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble. That chosen ideal, what we establish through doing the homework, those morals, those values, those spiritual characteristics that we've identified, this, these non-negotiables. Suppose we fall short of that ideal and we get into another bad relationship and we stumble. Does this mean we're going to get high or drunk? Some people tell us so, but it's only a half-truth. It depends upon us and our motives. If we're sorry for what we've done and have the honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe that we've been forgiven and we all have learned our lesson. If we're not sorry and our conduct continues to harm others, we're quite sure to use or to drink. We're not theorizing. These are facts out of our experience. You know, they always talk about that in the program and they'll say you need to wait a year before you get into a relationship. And that's just not realistic. I understand you want to have something to offer. You want to be able to... Um, have a meaningful relationship. You know, when we used to, guys used to talk to to Miss Franz, the substance abuse counselor, they'd be talking about this relationship and she'd say, what do you have to offer? What do you have to offer that relationship? And if you don't have an answer, you're not ready. But the facts are is that most people get into a relationship relatively soon. 
So suppose you, you fall short and you stumble. It's all about those motives. What's your motive for the relationship? Because if you stay in it and your conduct continues, you're going to use again. It's a fact. So we got to be really mindful and really aware of the way we're acting and our motives and relationships and respecting these boundaries and setting them and being honest. What's that first conversation look like? What are the non-negotiables of friendships and intimate relationships? What's that look like for me? I have to establish it because I did the homework. I wrote it down. I've identified the person. I've identified the characteristics of the relationship. I've looked at the insanity. I've looked at the characteristics. I've looked at my part, how I operate in the relationship, the way I treated this individual, this person. I know what not to do. So now I'm aware. And when I'm aware, I'm responsible. I've identified this sound ideal going further. I know I have to obtain this to attract that person. I have to have those assets, those morals, those values, those beliefs, if I'm going to attract that individual in my life. And if I stumble, I have to be aware of my motives because when I'm aware I'm responsible, I have to correct it. Because if I don't and I stay in this relationship, my conduct harms others and my motives are in the wrong place and my disease is manifesting itself and I'm living in character defect over a period of time, I want to change the way I feel again. It's a fact. To sum up about sex, we earnestly pray for the right ideal for guidance in each questionable situation, for sanity, for the strength to do the right thing. If sex is very troublesome, we throw ourselves the harder into helping others. We think of their needs and work for them. This takes us out of ourselves. It quiets the imperious urge when to yield would mean heartache. The program teaches us three basic tools. Talk about the way we feel with anyone, sponsor, closed mouth friend, a meaningful relationship that you have in your life, that there's some type of intimacy where the other person genuinely cares about you. It's healthy. It's interdependent. It's somebody in your support system. Talk about your emotions. The second thing is to get connected to God's will. First, you have to identify what that looks like for you so you know how to get connected and you know when you're not connected. And the third thing is to go help somebody. Because when I do that, it takes me out of self. Because selfishness is my problem, especially in relationships. If we've been thorough about our personal inventory, we've written down a lot. We've listened and analyzed our resentments. We've begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality. We've commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. We've begun to learn love, tolerance, patience, and goodwill towards all men, even our enemies, for we treat them as sick people. We've listed the people we've been hurt by our conduct. We're willing to set and straighten out the past if we can. In this book, you'll read again and again that faith did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We hope you're convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has been blocking you off from him. If you've already made a decision, that's step three. And the inventory for your grosser handicaps, that's step four. You've made a good beginning. That being so, you've swallowed and digested some big chunks of truth about yourself. And now it transitions into step five. So for everyone who may be stuck in a four-step, who may have fear associated with doing one, and facing these things and writing them down on paper and look at them in black and white and sharing them with another individual. This is the causes of our conditions. This is why we want to change the way we feel because when we get sober again, we feel all these things and it's no secret when you see it and you'll understand and you'll be able to answer that question of why. Why do you do it? You have identified it. And remember, nothing counts but thoroughness and honesty. Vigorously and strenuously attack this thing. Don't get stuck in it. Get them feet moving. Get through it. I promise you, you'll feel better. 
Because remember, this thing wants us dead, man. And this is the reasons why we're shut off from the sunlight of the spirit. So I'm going to ask you one last time. How free do you want to be? Travel all across this land, me and-